right, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Grace Church. There is a tension between what is ideal and what is real, and we experience that on a daily basis in our families, and uh, we actually have a little uh, conflict going on in my own family. Um, One of my boys actually had a t-shirt made for him, and uh, I think he's challenging my job, actually. So, Cody, come here real quick, actually. I want want you to, he did this without me knowing, but if if you can see, it says, future pastor of... Hey, the Bible says to be ready in season and out of season, so you're preaching today, buddy. Ah. <laughs> Go ahead and sit down. Uh, that's awesome. That's, that's funny, Cody. That's good. That's good. Well, at least if Cody was your pastor, he, you know, he would have hair. You know, that's what he told me. Dad, I have hair, at least. So we're in week three of our series called Ideal Family, and today we're asking the question, like, how do I deal with my real family? Because you all know, I mean, we have, we have our Facebook family. Um, we have our church family. We all look good this morning, right? We, we always look good at church because we can, we can turn on the switch and we can look good when we need to look good. We can put on the mask when we need to. But what happens when things get real? What happens when things fall apart? What happens when there is conflict? We've talked about this tension that exists between, you know, what, what God dreamt of when he designed the family and the brokenness that we experience on a daily basis in our families. There's a gap between what is ideal and, and what's real. And, and we all feel this tension. We've all experienced this. You see, we are imperfect people, every single one of us. We all are broken in some way. And so we experience that tension. And last week, we learned through the story of Joseph, we learned that your daily decisions, your, your daily actions, um, they're laying a foundation, not only for your current family, not only just for the here and now, but they're laying a foundation for your future family, for generations to come. And what you do and how you think and how you respond to crisis, and how you manage your money, and how you treat your spouse and your kids. Like, it really, really matters. It's really important. But once again, what happens when it falls apart? What happens when you, when you make mistakes, when you, when you do things that you wish you would have never done? Whether it was a broken marriage, a job loss, maybe it was a parenting fail, Maybe it was abuse or betrayal. You know, and the list could just go on and on and on of things that we walk in with, you know, the baggage that we carry. There is just so much brokenness around us. That's one thing. As we've been in this Ideal Family series, I am, to be honest with you, a little bit overwhelmed by some of the complexities and, and the complexities of problems that some families face on a daily basis. It's unbelievable the brokenness that is around us. So what do we do with this brokenness? What do we do when there's conflict? What do we do with the wrongs that were committed against us? What do we do with the wrongs that we see in our family? You know, how do we handle conflict that arises in our relationships? And the great thing about today's message is you can do something about it. There is something you can do. You can walk out of here today with an action plan, with some steps you can take to deal with the conflict around you, to deal with the brokenness around you. You can do something about the wrongs committed 
against you, whether it was in your childhood, at work, in a marriage, in a friendship, you can do something to handle the conflict in a healthier way, in a God-honoring way. And so here's, here's the main idea for today. The main teaching that I'm trying to get across, that I'm trying to communicate to you today, is don't allow bitterness and unforgiveness to ruin your future. Don't allow bitterness and unforgiveness to ruin your future. I'm really excited about today's message. We're going to hear a story from a man in our church, and it's an incredibly powerful story. I believe, a, I believe God has a lot for you today. And so, uh, man, let's get right into it, and uh, let's see what God has for us. We're going to look at a couple verses in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And these verses are over a thousand years old. We're, look, we're, we're reading a very old text, but yet the insight that Paul has for us is spot on. It's so incredible. And so we're going to uh, listen to the words of Paul beginning in Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 26. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 26. If you don't have your Bible with you, um, you can read along on the screen. But the Apostle Paul says, In your anger, which means there are times you are going to be angry. Okay, In your anger, do not sin. There's a time and a place to be angry, but don't let that anger turn into wrongdoing. He says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Let me ask you, how many, how many sunsets, how many days have gone by? How many days are you going to let pass until you decide to forgive? And then he says, do not give the devil a foothold. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Let me, let me ask you a question this morning. Is it wrong, or <clears throat> in more uh, religious terms, is it a sin to be angry? All right, a little bit louder because I can't hear you. No. Yeah, all right, you're awake. Awesome. It is not a sin to be angry. And if it is, then Jesus sinned because Jesus was angry. You can remember a few weeks back when I preached a sermon about Jesus going into the temple. People were, uh, religious people were ripping off people. They were charging them. Um, and, and Jesus walked into the temple and he got angry and he flipped over the tables. He was angry, but yet he didn't sin in that anger. You see, getting angry is not a sin. A lot of people think that as Christians that we're not allowed to get angry. A lot of people think that as Christians, we just got to roll over and play dead sometimes as Christians. We're supposed to just be nice all the time and have this, you know, fake smile on. But inside, we're angry at things that we see around us in the world. Some of the best counsel that I ever received was from my older brother, Jesse. He's a pastor in North Carolina. And he told me, it's not always about being nice. It's not always about being nice. If someone breaks into my home and tries to harm my family, I'm not going to be nice to them. It's not going to go well for them. I'm not going to be nice in that moment. I'm going to be angry about that injustice. I'm going to be angry that someone is trying to harm my family. You see, anger is not a sin. Anger can push you towards God or anger can push you away from God. Anger is not always a bad thing. Sometimes anger is justified. You know, people are upset about 
all kinds of different things, but sometimes that anger, it motivates them to action. It motivates them to do something about what they see around them, the brokenness. You know, all kinds of justice groups have started because people were angry about something. For example, you know, mothers against drunk driving. They're upset, they're upset, they're angry that their child was killed by a drunk driver. And so they're doing their best to stop drunk driving. They're angry about that. They're upset about that. And they're doing something about it. That anger led them to take action. Many have been fighting against human trafficking. I mean, they're angry that someone would stoop so low as to sell a little girl as a sex slave. And they're angry about that, and they're trying to put a stop to that. And that is God honoring justice. That anger is, is, is leading them to take steps, to take action. You see, anger can, can stir us to action. Righteous anger can awaken many Christians from their slumber. Because there's brokenness all around us, and many Christians put on their blinders, and they're so tunnel-visioned that they don't see, they don't take steps to do something about the brokenness around them. Sometimes anger can push us towards God. However, anger can also push you away from God. Paul says, don't sin in your anger. I mean, we, we could share many stories about how, maybe personally, how anger led us to do things that we regret. It led us to sin. And Paul, Paul says, don't sin in your anger. You, you may even have the right to be angry, but Paul says, don't let that anger turn into wrongdoing. You know, a, a wife finds out that her husband has been unfaithful to her. And she has the right to be angry. But the question is, is what is she going to do with that anger? She may think, you know, I'm going I'm to commit the same offense to get even with him. And just because you have the right to be angry doesn't mean you have the right to do something wrong. That's what Paul is saying. Don't, don't allow that anger to cause you to do what's wrong. How about a rebellious child in the face of his father? I mean, Dad, you have the right to be angry, but the question is, is, is fathers, what are you going to do with that anger when a rebellious child is in your face and there's conflict and there's tension? You see, a father could allow his anger to cause him to lose control and to cause him to, to throw a punch or, or, or to abuse his child. And Paul is saying, that's wrong. Don't lose control. Even when you're feeling that anger, don't lose control. Just because you have the right to be angry doesn't mean you have the right to do what's wrong. Some of us, when we get angry, we bury it. Man, we have this anger rise up. It may even be righteous anger. It may be that you're angry at the right things and you just bury it. You try to suppress it. And you think, oh, this is going to solve all the problems. If I just brush it under the rug, everything's going to be good. And you know what? It never works that way. If you brush stuff under the rug, you bury it, it grows. It's like weeds in your garden. you you just you got to keep pulling the weeds. It grows. It gets worse. It gets bigger. So don't bury it. Deal with it. Oh, you know, this is the classic one. I'm just going to ignore it. This conflict... I'm just going to pretend like it didn't happen. You know, this huge argument. And I called my spouse, 
everything that you shouldn't call him or her under the sun, and I'm just going to pretend like it didn't happen. We ignore it thinking it'll go away. But it doesn't. And maybe we wait days, maybe we wait months or years, and Paul is saying, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. He says, deal with it today. Get rid of it quickly. And then Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold. I actually dealt with this word, if you can remember, a couple months ago, and I, I really believe that we as a church, we need to understand this. And so I'm going to share it with us again, but the word foothold, when we talk about this, it means a staging place. Like the, the band is standing on a stage. And what happens is when you give the devil a foothold, you're, you're building a stage for the devil to have a concert in your heart. That's what happens. And Paul says, don't let him have a stage. Because his concerts are not that good. Okay, You don't want him having a concert in your heart. Don't let him have a foothold. Don't let him have a staging ground to where he can set up shop and do what he wants to do. Once again, you've got to resist the devil. You've got to fight against the devil. Paul is saying, don't let the devil set up his stage in your life. Don't let him set up shop. And then we talked about the word devil. It has this understanding. In the original language, the Greek word used for the word devil is not the same word that is used for Satan. The Greek word here for devil means a slanderer or a liar. So you could actually replace the word devil with whoever it was that hurt you. Like someone that you know abused you or someone that uh, took advantage of you or someone that um, you know stabbed you in the back. You can replace that word. And, and Paul is saying, don't give, and you could put the name of that person in the place of the devil. Don't give. You know, Joe or Sarah or, or Fred or, you know, my ex or that horrible boss. Don't give them a staging ground. Don't let them set up shop to mess with your future. Look at verses 28 and 29. And then the Apostle Paul, he's writing to this church in Ephesus and he says, don't use foul or abusive language. Remember in the book of James, uh, James says our tongue is, is, is like a fire. Man, when your, your tongue is so powerful, the things that you say. And, and Paul says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Paul says, quit using foul and abusive language. Like, don't let corrupt things come out of your mouth. Or I'm actually going to say it this way. Don't let corrupt things come out of your keyboard. Don't let corrupt things come across in your texting. Don't let corrupt things be put on your Facebook. You see, the things that come out of your mouth, the things that you type on your keyboard, man, they should be good. They should build people up. They should not be for the intent of tearing people down. Before you say something, before you push send, before you, you know, click send with your thumb, you need to ask yourself a few questions. First of all, is it appropriate? Is, is this appropriate? What I'm, what I'm about to send, is this, is this, is this right? Does it, does it fit the occasion? Another question is, 
Does it bring peace to the ones who are going to read this? Is this with the intent to build them up? Or is this with the intent, man, to, to cut them, to try to knock them down? Is what I'm about to say going to help or harm the people I'm going to send it to? You see, sometimes the verbal vomit that comes out of our mouths is with the intent to hurt people. It's crazy. It's crazy how we can destroy people with our words. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't don't use that type of language. Don't speak to each other that way. And here's my encouragement to you this morning. Use words that encourage or build people up. Or, you know what the alternative is? If If you can't think of any good words to say to build someone up, then shut up. Keep your mouth shut. You see, if your words are going to tear people down, just be quiet. Solomon, a very wise man, he said this in Proverbs 17.28, he said, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Right? If you don't know what to say and you're not going to say something that's going to build someone up, just be quiet and you're actually going to look smarter than probably you are, okay? Just be quiet. Some of us need to learn the art of keeping our mouths shut. And, and, and let me just throw in a dose of reality, because I've had this happen here even recently. When, when someone says things or does things, and you feel justified that i I got to reply to this, i got to speak to this, i gotta, I got to defend myself, it is so hard not to get in the flesh and not to just let them have it. And then you're regretting things that you said or did. But when you choose to just, you know what, I'm, I'm, the one I'm trying to appease, the one I'm trying to, to honor is God. So really, I just care about what He thinks. And you choose to be quiet. It is hard, hard, hard. But it is, it is so worth it. You're not going to have regrets. You're not going to say things you wish you could take back. Verse 31, the Apostle Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Once again, let me just give a reminder. We're talking about the ideal. This is very ideal. This is what God wants, but we also have the real. Okay? Yes, I want to get rid of all this stuff. But... but Do I live this way all the time? No. Do you live this way all the time? No. But this is just the encouragement. This is the ideal that we're pointing to. Like, get rid of this stuff in your life. Do your best not to be filled with bitterness and rage and anger and slander. You know, but there's times we're going to struggle with this and we need to deal with it. So when when you continue to carry your past into your future, guess who it negatively affects the most? You. When you carry your past into your future, you're the one who suffers the most. It's not the one that you're upset with because they're not even thinking about. They forgot about the situation. It's, it's affecting you. It's harming you. You become bitter. And what Paul is saying here is it's like a domino effect. When you don't deal with bitterness, it consumes and it destroys, but it, it, it turns to rage. And then rage will lead to anger, and anger will lead to harsh words, and harsh words will lead to slander or lies about people, gossip. 
Lies will lead to the desire to do evil. And the next thing you know, okay, this domino effect, if you don't deal with it on the front end, the next thing you know, you are doing, saying, being someone that you thought you would never be. You're doing something you thought you would never do. You're saying things you thought you would never say because you didn't get rid of it. So how do we get rid of this stuff? How do we walk in victory? Verse 32. And if you have a highlighter and you have your Bible, like highlight and highlight again. Circle it. Um, Put it on your head. I don't know. Do something to remember verse 32. It's like the basics. Instead, be kind to each other. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Instead of ending up in a place that you don't want to be, doing things that you thought you would never do, Paul says instead that you should be kind to each other. In your words and in your actions, be kind. Be tender-hearted. Try to see things from a different lens. Try to see it from their perspective. Really listen to what they're saying. Be tender-hearted. And have compassion. Be concerned for their sufferings and for their misfortunes. Be sympathetic instead of being full of bitterness. Being tender-hearted means that you actually want God to save people. You actually want God to redeem and to rescue marriages. You actually care. I know it's such a crazy concept. Like, man, I have to care, Pastor Justin? Yeah, like that's what being tender-hearted is. Like, I actually care about what's happening in this individual's life. And then Paul says the really hard one. He says, forgiving one another. Before we talk about forgiving one another, I want you to watch David Lazari's story. So, so check out this video.
I wanted to meet him, figure out who he was. I felt at that time that was just the beginning, the first step of a pretty beautiful father son relationship. And as a child, I guess I was a little naive in thinking that. I didn't know him, he didn't know me. He's got another family. I, I couldn't make the connection with him as a father that I wanted. I, I wanted him to wrap his arm around me and protect me and teach me. And instead, it was just this, this family that asked for a key on the weekend to get me in. And I never got to go to the match game. As my senior years went on, I grew less and less satisfied with that relationship, but more and more confused about how to turn it into what I wanted it to be. I have a memory of him coming to a baseball game. So he drove his game and he sat in his truck beside us the whole time and watched the game from his truck. And then before the game was over, he left. He never came to a stadium to meet. Uh, we never talked about how well I did in the game. Uh, he was just gone. And almost like his presence there was an obligation. He felt like he had to fulfill. And that broke me. Uh, I stopped pursuing him. stopped calling him. And his behavior, his reaction to that, um, most of the time in my life has just been too silent. I guess it was about a year or two after I graduated high school, I had a, a kind of a breaking point. I was working at a Ruby Tuesdays at the time, it was Christmas Eve, and uh, I just felt God telling me to start a fire. I called my dad and I told him, I told him Merry Christmas, and I said, it's been a long time since we talked. Um, and he's like, can you, can you can't even imagine how bad that is. invited me over the next morning, it was Christmas morning, um, I was again kind of that nine-year-old boy sitting across the table from my dad, um, just trying to make a connection, so I was so desperate to have a father, and uh, I thought that's okay, this is going to be, this is going to be a
You know, in my 17 years of, of being a pastor, forgiveness has been the thing that I've seen people struggle with the most. And that has been the thing that I would say just comes to my mind immediately is, and how do I forgive? How does it work? You know, questions about forgiveness. And in some situations, in some stories that I've heard from people, it, it seems like an impossibility. I mean, there's times where even in, in, in myself, you know, I want to say, like, you don't need to forgive. You know, in this situation, you're, you're good to be angry, you're good to hold on to this bitterness, you know, because the situation, the story was so incredibly horrible. You know, we want people to suffer. Like David said, he wanted to hear, I'm sorry. He wanted to hear something from his dad that would prove that he had ownership. We want to see people pay a price before we will forgive. And Paul says, you need to forgive no matter what they do. No matter their response. And this forgiveness will benefit your life. I love how David said it's a gift. It's a gift that will fill that void that you are experiencing right now. And this will benefit your life. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you are just, I don't know about this Jesus stuff, forgiveness will benefit you. It will benefit your life. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus forgave us, and He wasn't the one that was in the wrong. We were in the wrong, but yet He forgave us. You see, if anyone had the right to be bitter or angry, it was Jesus Christ. I mean, He created us in a perfect state. We were in a relationship with God. There was no sin. And God gave one simple instruction, and we chose to not listen and to rebel against that one instruction. And because of sin, our relationship with God was broken, and death came to the earth. But God had a plan, and God the Father sent His Son Jesus. Jesus left heaven, and He came to earth as a man. And God came in human flesh to save us, to redeem us, to rescue us. You see, Jesus lived in our shoes. He experienced what we experience. He knows how you feel, what you're going through. He walked in our shoes. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted, but He didn't do anything wrong. He was wrongly accused. He was betrayed by those He thought were His best friends. He was abandoned. He was beaten. He came to rescue us. And and what did we do to Him? We crucified Him. We crucified Him. And while He's hanging on the cross in a moment where He had every right to be bitter, He had every right to, to give a whistle, to snap His fingers, to call down legions of angels to just wipe out planet Earth. He had every right to do that. Instead, he said these incredible words. He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. You see, forgiveness means to pardon someone. It means that they are guilty. Like you're standing in a courtroom and you're like, yes, they are guilty, but I'm choosing to pardon them. I'm choosing not to hold it against them. It doesn't mean that I'm going to trust them again. But I've decided to pardon them. And you know, if anyone had the right to lose his cool in the midst of conflict, it was Jesus Christ. 
I'm so glad that God is not holding a grudge against us. I'm so glad that God is not bitter towards us. God is not asking you to do something that He Himself has not already done. God made the decision to forgive us. And this is the good news of God. This is what we refer to as the Gospel. When you put your faith in the goodness of Christ, God will not hold your wrongs against you. He will forgive you if you simply say, God, please forgive me. But without Christ, you have to be good enough. You have to be good enough to measure up to the standard, to the perfection of God. And I don't know about you, but I'm far from that standard. I'm far from that perfection. And that's why I desperately need, that's why you so desperately need Jesus Christ. And we should forgive others because God, through Christ, forgave us. And I don't know about you, but in situations where it's difficult, that helps me to say, I'm going to forgive because Christ forgave me. And my list of wrongdoings is pretty lengthy. I'm sure yours is too. But Christ forgave us. And so, when there's wrongs, when there's conflict, forgiveness will help you to move forward, will help you to overcome that. When you pardon someone, it uncouples, it unhinges their impact on your future. But if you choose to live in bitterness, if you choose to live in unforgiveness, the only future that you're messing with is your own. I'm going to invite the band to come up this morning, and uh, we're going to finish out with a song, give you some time to reflect, and uh, we just want to create some space for the Holy Spirit to really speak to your heart, to speak to your mind. But the question, once again, is how do I deal with my real family? And let me just give us some reminding questions as we close out here. Are, are you kind towards your spouse? Are you kind towards your children? Are you kind towards your siblings? Are you kind towards them? Like, man, we, we learned that in elementary school. At least I hope we did. Are you kind? Are you tender-hearted? Do you, do you care about what they're saying to you, about what they're going through? Are you going to choose? It's a decision. Are you going to make the decision to forgive, to pardon them? Even though they're guilty, you're going to choose not to hold it against them. Are you going to remain bitter? And then here's, here's a huge one. Are you going to look to Jesus as your example? To say, gosh, I have every right to be angry, I have every right to, to seek revenge. But that's not what Jesus did. And so I'm going to look to Him as my example. So I encourage you to follow His lead. You'll, you'll experience joy like you've never had before. So listen, there's two ways that you can respond this morning. First of all, I want to call you, I want to encourage you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've never taken that step, I want to encourage you to do that. Become a Christian. Place your faith in what Jesus has done on the cross and just stop trying to do it in your own strength because you know it's not working. So don't do it in your own strength. Do it through the power of Christ. So become a Christian today. Put your faith in Jesus. Secondly, you can respond by prayer. If forgiveness just seems like an impossibility to you right now, if you're like, man, I know what it says, but I, I'm, I, I can't do that. I want to encourage you, one of the best steps that you could take is to pray. Say, God, please give me the strength. We have a prayer room just out the back of the auditorium. We have some 
a prayer team that's ready to pray with you, to encourage you. Man, just pray. Say, God, help me to learn how to forgive. Help me to do it. Help me to have the courage to forgive. If you'd like someone to pray with you, people will be back there. They'll be ready to show you you know, how to put your faith in Jesus. They'll be ready to pray with you about forgiveness. So, church in closing, instead of building walls, let's build bridges. Instead of drawing lines, like this is my side and that's your side, let's cross lines. Because Jesus crossed the cosmos. He crossed some lines to come to us. Let's cross some lines to, to forgive and to bless people. Let me close in prayer. Lord, You have done the impossible in the past. And I know that You can do it again.